Well, I'm back. How's the sound? Is it okay? I know the last time I was up here, they took a few minutes to try to organize the sound. Well, I feel very fortunate to be here. And that, that, uh, that line will come into play as we get more into the message this morning. I feel very fortunate to be here. Um, the title of my sermon this morning is Choose to be Happy. Uh, and uh, whether we realize it or not, many of us go through uh, our day in a perpetual funk. We walk around, uh, we see the glasses half full. We always have something to complain about. Uh, we look for the bad when the good is there staring us right in the face. We, have, we want to experience joy and we want to be happy, but uh, we have forgotten sometimes how to get there. Or we have lost it and we don't even realize that we have. Well, happiness is a state of mind. It differs greatly from joy, and and we as believers understand joy comes from God and from God alone. Joy is the state not predicated upon your circumstances. Joy is the state not predicated upon your situation. Man cannot give you joy, and man cannot take it away. No matter what besets you, joy is ever-present. Even in the midst of bereavement, when our hearts are yet broken and heavy, we are and we're told weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Scripture does not say that happiness comes in the morning. But it does say joy comes in the morning. We know that to be absent in the flesh is to be ever present with the Lord. That is that is unspeakable joy. Now, God's spirit moves within his people and triggers that mechanism called joy. This is why David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Without the word of God on the inside, there can be no real joy. Let me repeat that. Without the word of God on the inside, there can be no real joy in our lives. Man cannot mess with God's joy. That's how in the midst of problems, we can still have joy. Now, sometimes that seems a little oxymoronic. I know people say, what are you talking about? How can I be joyful when all these bad things are happening to me? But man cannot mess with God's joy. That's how in the midst of problems, we can still have joy. That's how in the midst of folks being up in your face, we can still have joy. When we're under spiritual attack. We can still have joy when folks stop talking, when you enter the room and we know why they're not talking. We can still have joy. But happiness is determined by our circumstances and by our surroundings. Now, when there's money in our pocket, we're happy. But when our money's gone, we're not so happy. When it's payday, how many of us are happy on payday, right? Or when we get our retirement or Social Security checks for the for the, the graying crowd in the in the rooms, we're happy. Oh, it's payday. When is it? When is it? When it's that's that's a happy day. We do the happy dance. But three days later, after we've paid all the bills, we're not so happy. 
riding up and down PCH. Maybe the top is down the sky, or the skylight is open. The windows are down. The breeze is blowing in. We got the tunes jacked up. We're happy. Then the car breaks down and we're not so happy. Ever buy a new car? Get inside, drive it home. The smell of new car. What is that smell anyway? I think do they actually put that in there. The smell of a new car. We love it. We're happy. And then we get the first payment. Five, six, seven hundred dollars, depending, you know. And we're not so happy. Especially it seems like after we get the first payment, the new suddenly wears off. Many of us are confused when it comes to understanding the difference between joy and happiness. The two words are not are not interchangeable. We as Christians should properly understand the message that Paul has delivered to us. Jesus has given us a message that joy reigns on the inside. John fifteen eleven says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Our joy remains in us. This is the promise. This is Jesus speaking in John 15, 11. And Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. It's a promise. And that your joy may be full. That's why it can't be taken away from us, because God gives it to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our joy springs eternal. Our joy is full because it's connected with the Lord. So we should be joyful. The Lord's joy placed in us remains in us and it is full because it is not based on what we have or what we don't have. It's there because God placed it there. God wants it there and God wants us to experience it and be joyful. Have you ever seen Christians in the church that rarely smile? You ever seen Christians outside the church and it seems like they're always frowning? I see some smiles and I see some straight lips and I see some up, upside down smiles. But the key words there is Christians. And remember, Christians are saved and they're born again. They're in the church or they're in the family of God. They get involved in the life of the church. They give and they support financially. But sometimes many of them never seem to smile. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in there and there's this battle between the Holy Spirit and sin nature. And the sin nature is trying to tamp down your joy. But the problem isn't necessarily resides in it, the problem doesn't is not found in the joy because the joy is already here. And this is where we get confused. The problem is in their happiness. Or their lack of happiness. Whereas joy is rooted in the gratefulness to God, joy and happiness come from two different power sources. Joy comes from God. And the happiness basically is internalized in us. Let's look at what happened to Paul. In, in Acts 25, the Apostle Paul was brought up on charge before Festus, the Roman governor uh, of Judea, by Jewish leaders. Uh, their plan was to have Festus send Paul back to Jerusalem where they could have Paul killed along the way back to Jerusalem. That was their plan. They wanted Paul dead. 
Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit made this known to Paul. So Paul demanded the rights of the Roman citizen. Wait a minute. You can't send me back to there. I'm a Roman citizen. You have to deal with me here. After a time, a long time, Festus passed Paul over to King Agrippa, uh, when uh, given the chance to defend himself to Agrippa. Well, let's look at what it said uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand. And he began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today. As I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg for you to listen to me patiently. Now, put yourself in Paul's sandals for a moment. You've been arrested for doing nothing more than praying as a Jew in the Jewish temple and sharing some good news. You have been charged with a capital offense of which you are completely innocent. And now you've been unjustly imprisoned for two long years. At last, you have a chance to tell your side of the story. So would your first words be out of your mouth? Would they be, I consider myself fortunate after two years of house arrest, after two years of basically not being able to go and come as you please? I consider myself fortunate. I suspect we might be more prone to say something like, I consider myself mad. I consider myself cheated. I consider myself mistreated. I consider myself a victim. But not Paul. His confession wasn't that he was mad, that he was cheated, that he was mistreated, or that he was a victim, or any kind. His confession was, I consider myself fortunate to be here. After two long years, I'm still fortunate to be here. He was happy to have this opportunity to speak from the heart to the assembled crowd. I'd have been mad. I'd have been angry. I'd have been frustrated. And Paul says, I feel fortunate. I'm happy to be here. Ladies and gentlemen, sit down. I've got something to say. So here he is, he's found standing before King Agrippa and the governor, Felix, and he is facing further imprisonment simply because he chose to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Who chose for the sake of the angry mob not to set Paul free. That's, you know, they understood that if we set Paul free, one, he's a Roman citizen, two, if they get a chance, they're going to kill him. We don't want that. So now Paul has the opportunity to begin his opening statement, present the facts of his case. A, he was wrongfully imprisoned. B, he was incarcerated for two years with no hearing until now. And his opening statement is, I consider myself fortunate. I'm happy to be here. And I love that. You know, I, I want to be like that uh, because that's not my go to emotion. I'm happy to be here. And it's like, do I got to be here? Do I want to be here? I'd rather be doing something else. But see, Paul knew a secret that few people know. He knew the secret to happiness. Most people think that happiness is what happens to you when good things happen in your life. But the Bible says something else. 
The Bible teaches that good things come from within and are released by the words we speak and the God honoring things we do. Therefore, our happiness is our choice. It's not what happens to you. That determines your happiness. It's your answer to what happens to you that determines your happiness. It's how you handle your adversity. Here's Paul before the council. The king looks upon the apostle and allows Paul the opportunity to defend himself. King Agrippa states, you have the permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul says, oh, my gosh, I'm consider myself fortunate to be here. That's how he handled the adversity of two years of being imprisoned. That's how he handled the adversity of people outside the gate wanting to kill him. I'm just fortunate to be here. And Paul was fortunate to be there. Very fortunate. You know, in today's vernacular, we would say that Paul is a happy camper. Even though he's kind of an old guy, old guy at the time, but Paul was a happy camper. See, Paul didn't allow circumstances to dictate to him whether or not he would have the joy of the Lord. Paul spoke of his faith in Christ Jesus. Too often we allow our circumstances to dictate the situation we find ourselves in. Bad things are happening to us. We're going to respond badly. We're going to be angry. We're going to be upset. We're going to be mad. We make the conscious choice not to be happy. Instead of reaching internally and tapping into our joy, we feel externally. We look for things or proper surroundings to make us feel happy. Not be happy. But feel happy. And there's a difference. Paul looked beyond the situation. Paul understood the Lord is always with him. And Paul understood the words of Jesus found in Matthew 28, 20, where Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, you know, I like the, the phrase words mean things, you know, and always means always until the end of the world means to the end of the world. So Jesus's promise to us, the promises to Paul, the promise to us is that, lo, I'm going to be with you always. No matter where you go, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, all the way to the end of the world. I'm going to be with you right there. I'm going to be with you. That's a promise. Grab it, internalize it, hold on to it, experience the joy and be happy. If we do not believe in that eternal promise, we'll never find external happiness. Paul knew every step of the journey called life. The Lord promised to always be there with us during the good times and during the bad times. That's the center of the joy we have on the inside, knowing there is nothing that can happen in this life where God is not aware Sometimes we think he's forgotten about us. Sometimes he thinks he doesn't know what's going on. Sometimes we think he's maybe not in control. But the reality is, is that he's, he's always there. He always knows because he's omniscient. He's always there because he's omnipresent. And he can always act and respond because he's omnipotent. He's always there. And for born again believers, he's there inside us through the Holy Spirit. Always there. 
That's the center of the joy we have on the inside, knowing there is nothing that can happen in this life where God does not there. That kind of joy is the springboard to our happiness. Paul says something else really significant that helps him and us understand the importance of being happy. In Philippians 4.11, Paul wrote, not that I speak in respect to want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to be content. Now, the definition of content means to be in a state of peaceful happiness. If you're not if you're not peacefully happy, you're not content with your with your situation. And Paul said, not that I speak in respect to want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in prison, being charged with with a crime punishable by death, being chased out of town. Hey, not that I speak in respect to want. I mean, what I'd like to have is to be free and be come and go as I please and, you know, have my health back and be in better shape and maybe have some uh, some better food to eat. I'd rather have a soft pillow than a rock for a pillow. But, hey, whatever state I'm in, therein I will be content. Being content is to be in a state of peaceful happiness because Paul says I and see Paul says I had to learn this. Uh, for I have learned, I had to learn this, just like he had to learn to read, and we had to learn to read and write, just like we had to learn to do math, just like we had to learn to drive. And some of you younger ones, you haven't learned to do that yet, but you think you probably already know how. Sadly, many in the church have never learned this. Paul says he learned to be content because he was growing old when he was once young. How many of us are starting to look mortality in the face? Yeah. You know, I sit, sometimes I sit around and I realize, oh, man, I, maybe I got 15 good years left. And then, no, oh, no, you got 25. And even in 25 doesn't sound very long, especially for people that are, you know, not even 20 yet. Paul doesn't have any money, but he did once. He was well-to-do. He had a business. He was doing fine. His health is now beginning to decline. I mean, you'd be in prison for a long time off and on. And, you know, yeah, your health is going to decline. But he was once strong. He was once, he was once you know, able to get around. He's in prison. But he was, used to be free. Yet he says, I have learned the secret of being content. I'm old. I'm content. I'm poor, I'm content. I'm in prison, I'm content. And he learned another secret. Most of us have spent the vast majority of our life with our heart displaced or discontented for one reason or another. We were discontented because we never married. Or we did, and now we're divorced. Or we may be discontented with the spouse that we have. We may be discontent with our job. We may be discontent with our friends or lack of friends. We may be discontent with our bank account. We may not even like our children's spouses. For those that have kids that are married. Or we might like them a lot. But we might not. 
Or we may be discontent with the pastor or the elders, the deacons or uh, members in, in the church. We're angry or mad or upset with some of them. Discontent. The list can go on and on and on and on. And truth be told, I'm still a work in progress. I still have lots to learn. One of the things I would do when I was raising the boys is that, you know, they'd go to school. And I do this with my grandkids. And when we pick them up, they come after school. I, I like to ask them the question. So what did you learn today? Because life is a learning process. You want to learn how to become a better Christian and how, and how to more live your faith? How do you do that? You go into the word of God. You want a roadmap for Christianity? The word of God. You got issues and problems you're trying to deal with? The word of God. You got questions about God and who he is and who he said he was and the promises of God. They're all contained in the word of God. So our problem is, is we can read the things that the Bible teaches us, but then we can set them aside and then make our own decision. But if you want real joy, if you want real happiness in your Christian life, follow after what God teaches us in the word of God. See, and I don't because I don't think I'm alone in that learning process. I think we're all on that journey of trying to learn something. I don't think I need to be a prophet to know that many of us are struggling deeply with being content. There's a lot of discontent in the world today. We see it all the time. You can't turn on the news without one group screaming at another group about something that they are discontented with. Some people like this and these people don't like them because they don't like this and so on and so forth. And it's just it's this. This is the world we live in today. And the sad commentary is, is that there, there are churches today where there's a lot of this going on. And we have this going on. What you don't have and what you're not experiencing as, as, as the church is joy, which is inside and happiness, which is external. Because you're tamping down the joy, you're tamping down the spirit, which means you're tamping down our external happiness. I'm just not happy. Of course, you're not happy because you've chosen not to be happy. You've chosen to whatever, be discontent about whatever it is you're going to be discontent about. You can't find that reason why you should be worked through something. See, I can tell because of the frown we wear every now and then. I can tell because of our unhappiness that we have every now. I can tell because of our refusal to smile as we interact with one another. I can tell because sometimes our smile is upside down. I am smiling. This is how I smile. Well, I hate to see it when you frown. I can tell it when we complain about things that are just trivial. We're in the process of getting outside of our house painted. And if you ever gone through that process. So it's five dollars every time you get a little tiny jar of something to paint on your wall to try to get the colors. Because the last thing you want to do is spend all this money to have the extra of your house painted and then to come home after they're done and go, oh, my goodness, that is not the color I wanted. Because you have two options, live with it or spend thousands more and get it painted again. And what do most of us do? We live with it and then complain about it and are unhappy about it and point fingers that, you know, it's what's your fault. No, it's your fault. No. So right now we've got all these color swabs on the wall and we still haven't nailed it down. 
We think maybe we finally found the color. We're going to have to go spend another five bucks to try it. But we want to make sure we get it right. So we are not going to complain about it for the next 25 or 30 years that I can still want to complain about things. This is something we have to work on as Christians. Therefore, contentment has to be nurtured. You want to be content? You have to work on it. It's not going to just happen. You're not just going to stumble into contentment. You're not going to wake up one day and say, I'm content. It's not going to happen that way. So I want to encourage you to cultivate contentment. Contend for it. It is here where we'll find how to be happy. No matter what goes on in my life, I will contend for happiness. Therefore, in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, whatever I'm faced, whenever I'm faced with it or may be uncomfortable with, it will not shake my joy. Whenever I feel the adversary try to steal my joy, I must think about what makes me happy. In the midst of a storm or in the midst of adversity, I'll begin to think on the fact that I have a roof over my head that doesn't leak. There are clothes in my closet. They all fit. Maybe a little too big, but they fit. There's food to eat. I'm in really good health. That's what the doctor told me. I had had one eye physical. I'm pretty good health. I have a loving wife and family. I can go to the refrigerator whenever I want and generally find a nice cold glass of milk. I have friends that I can talk to. Yes, I have friends. I have nine grandbabies that love their grandpa. Well, I've got a brand new one that doesn't really know I'm grandpa yet, but and I have to go through that scary grandpa stage. The other grandpas, you ever go through the scary grandpa, you know, where the grandbabies want nothing to do with you? Here, grandpa, hold your granddaughter. And then they freak out and they have to hand them back. But then by the time they're one years old, it's like, Grandpa, they think you're wonderful. Then I become fun, Grandpa. I have a church where I can laugh and sometimes cry with, with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I have a lot to be happy about. Because in the circumstances that I really have in my life, there's a lot to be happy about. Bottom line, as bad as we think things are, as unhappy our circumstances sometimes makes us, someone somewhere is worse off than we are. We just saw two terrible hurricanes rip through Texas and through Florida. There are people that don't have a house anymore. There are people with no electricity, no food, no water. Still living in shelters. And we can complain because there's a power outage when it's hot and the air conditioning doesn't run for an hour. So this should encourage you. The Apostle Paul says this because it means he didn't learn to be content overnight. So this isn't an overnight process. It didn't happen to him as soon as he was converted on that dusty road to Damascus. 
It was a process by which the Spirit of God, with the help of the church, taught him to be content. He said, I had to learn to be content. So he can stand before this council, even in the midst of being in chains, freedom lost, and able to look up at them and begin his discourse by saying, I consider myself fortunate. I'm so I'm I'm so glad happiness is not just an emotion, but it is a choice. It is an attitude towards life. Paul did not speak at himself and uh, look at himself in his predicament. He was always looking toward God and trusting him to lead him and provide for him. Now, you can look at a half filled cup and thank God that you have some water to drink. Or you can lament why you only have half a cup and not a full cup. You can choose to think about your weaknesses, about what you do not have, or you can choose to thank God for what he has given us. Don't see the thorns among the roses. Look at the roses. They're beautiful. Had Paul been entrapped in the snare of wanting to feel good, his circumstance could probably have robbed him of his happiness and his joy. If he had reacted to his situation based on the actual facts of his circumstances, he would have missed it. His charges were trumped up. He was an innocent man. He could have spent his time arguing and fussing over. Hello. Why he was. He could have spent his time arguing and fussing over why he was in court to begin with. I shouldn't be here. Why am I? I didn't do anything wrong. The charges are trumped up. I'm innocent. That's why I told the police officer when he pulled me over for speeding. I'm, what are you talking about? I had the cruise control set just under the penalty phase. Yeah, that's still 14 miles over the speed limit. No, that didn't happen to me, but it could. And I wouldn't have a leg to stand on. Instead, he saw an evangelistic opportunity. And he would not miss it. He embraced it. He grabbed it. I consider myself fortunate to be here with you people today because I want to share something with you. So go ahead and sit down. I got something to say. Knowing full well that what he says might incense both Agrippa and Festus to the point that he might, they died. Okay, fine. You know, just so you're going back in the, in the slammer for, we're going to, no, we're, we're going to give you to, to the Jewish religious leaders, let you take you to Jerusalem because we know what that's going to end back. That's not what happened. Paul stood up and said, I am I'm fortunate. I consider it fortunate to be here. I am glad to be here. I am happy to be here because I have an opportunity to share the gospel, the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was happy. Oftentimes, we don't feed the right thing. We must make sure that we feed the spirit man that's inside us. We must be found, which must be found in the word of God. We spend too much feeding. We spend too much time feeding the natural man. We spend too much time looking at things, reading things, being involved in things that do not feed the spirit. That do not edify the church. That do not glorify God. 
The question you should always ask yourself when you're going to get involved in something, how does this glorify God and how does this edify the body? If it doesn't glorify God, if it does not edify the body, then ask, the next question should be, why am I even doing this? Why am I involved in this? Well, usually it's because, well, because I think that's going to make me happy. Because right now in my circumstance, I'm not happy. So I need to do something that's going to make me happy. So this external thing over here, I think I'll get involved in it. And let's face it, there's a lot of things in the world that have nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with the glorification of God. Nothing that will, that will edify and grow the body of Christ. That's a lot of fun. From a natural man standpoint. Churches are empty, not because this isn't a fun place to be. This is a fun place to be. At least it should be. Churches are empty because people are looking for external funness someplace else. And they're finding it out there. The sad commentary is, is that fun that they're finding is like filthy rags. That fun that they are, the, the, the fun that they're finding is temporary. We spend too much feeding, too much time feeding the natural man, not enough, not enough time feeding the spiritual man. And we should be participating in the life of the church all week long. We should be working. We should be praying. We should be supporting the ministries, the leadership and each other for this glorifies God and it edifies the body. A Christian elder once described life struggles with a young man. He said, you know, it feels like there's two dogs fighting inside of me. And the young man asked, which dog wins? And the older man replied, oh, it's whichever one I feed. If we feed our soul with the best good and good thoughts, we grow stronger and we grow fitter in Christ. If we don't, we don't. So let's feed on the word of God. Then we'll be like Paul and be able to say in the midst of any of my surroundings. I consider myself fortunate. I choose to be happy. Daniel was in the lion's den. Chose to be happy. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're in the lion's den. They chose to be happy. Jeremiah thrown in a mud pit. He chose to be happy. John the Baptist is going to be beheaded. Choose to be happy. But let's make this personal. When I am faced with trials and tribulations, I'm going to choose to be happy. When I am down to my last dime, God forbid, but if I'm down to my last dime, I'm going to choose to be happy. When I'm stressed and don't know what to do. First, I'm going to pray. But I'm going to choose to be happy. Yeah, Dave, but how do how how do you choose to be happy when all this bad stuff is swirling around you? Well, just hold fast to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9, he said this. We are hard pressed on every side. 
but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We need to go out and embrace every single day. The Lord is made and choose to be happy and experience the true joy of life in Jesus Christ. If you do that, if you focus on that, your life will be more full. It'll be more complete. Feed the inner spirit. Do that through the word of God. Experience the joy by embracing the joy that God has put in us. And choose to be happy. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray that uh, you continually bless us. Watch over us. Keep us. Lord, we just pray that you will encourage us to. Choose to be happy. To look to the positive, to look to the good. To look toward you. We know many times that it's easier to look. At bad things and embrace bad things. We know we have to deal with bad things. But at the same time, we know that we should always be looking for those things that glorify God and edify this body. So, Lord, we pray for we pray for unity. We pray for a, a oneness in spirit, a oneness in mind, a oneness in passion, a oneness in focus and a oneness in direction. God, you have wonderful things uh, uh, in store for the, the ministry on this corner. Uh, we, uh, I heard just today of, of plans and things that are moving forward that, that just bring joy to my heart. And as this begins to roll out to this congregation, they'll also experience that same joy. They'll see God's hand of blessing, God's providence being poured out on the people here in this corner for holding fast to God. For being obedient. For being joyful. And for choosing to be happy. We just ask a special blessing on all of us today. In Jesus name. Amen. Okay, you can smile now. See how easy that was?